Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast which tries to blend market commentary with alcohol consumption. My name is Boa Shoshan and I'm joined today as ever by Sam Volkering where we shall quaff a couple of beers and uh, discuss the, the market movements over the past week. Sam, how you been getting on? Uh, getting on okay I, and I have consumed the quaffing of said beer already. Um, and uh, as 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 on every Friday, um, always look forward to a beer and uh, the our our weekly ramblings of uh, some of the mayhem and and craziness that the market just seems to be continuously throwing at us. So uh, yeah, happy Friday, everyone. Yeah, happy Friday indeed, Sam. Uh, what what beer have you started on today? Yeah, so this one is from the O Brother Brewing Co. Uh, which oh yeah, another one. A uh, Ireland in Wicklow in Ireland, six point two percent. And but okay, so it's called Love Hurts, um, and it's got a it's got a wonderful uh, picture on the front. It's a, a picture that looks like it could be something that Banksy would do in one of his uh, murals, uh, like a little cherub holding a giant uh, Gatling gun, basically. Uh, firing it at, at something um, it's it's quite quite interesting but anyway it's called love hurts um, hence the uh, as I say the, the cherub with the, with the Gatling gun but it's an oat cream IPA now I think um, it's probably fair to say this is the first oat cream IPA I've ever had um, so uh, it contains lactose so if you're lactose intolerant probably not the one for you um, but uh, off to a off to a pretty good start so far. Uh, looking forward to drinking oh, all of this and and giving a good rating. Oh yeah, oh brother, I have had very uh, very good experiences with in the past. Whenever I've had a, from uh, oh brother brewing, uh, it, interestingly, it looks like we've gone maybe for similar stuff this week. Uh, the one I've started on already here is from a brewery which I've never had anything from before called. Basque Land or Basque Land, and that's B-A-S-Q-U-E. And uh, the tagline appears to be ask for Basque or ask for Basque, depending on where you were raised. <laughs> and uh, this one is called Grandma's Apple Pie Sour, which is a Ooh. fruited sour ale. And I've just realized that similar to yours, uh, this one's got lactose in it. And oh, normally no. I... No, yeah, exactly. Normally, I abhor beers that have lactose in it, but it uh, looks like I've had this already. And I've already started it before I knew there was lactose in it, and it is okay. Uh, it is it, re <laughs> it really does taste like some kind of apple pie kind of thing going on. It's got yeah. that weird taste you get, which probably is the lactose, but it's it's been okay so far. And what actually is the ABV? 5.8%. Um, yeah, and it doesn't taste that taste that alcoholic. So I think this is uh, this will be an interesting one to start with. It's got a very, very um, florid label with uh, you know an apple pie as you would expect. It's got wings and flowers all over the place, lots of peach backdrop. Um, but yeah, Sam, how should we uh, how should we begin this week uh, with? Uh, I did see a rather amusing uh, meme that somebody put together um, where it was, you know, somebody just captioning Donald Trump saying, you know, uh, you know, stop calling me orange. And then I'm peach with the uh, with the pun <laughs> being impeachment being, you know, this is the second the second impeachment for Donald Trump. I, uh, I can't say it. It matters all that much from my perspective. This seems to be mostly yeah. theater to my 
yeah. it's my eyes but yeah what do you make of it all uh you know what's interesting is that could you like how how creative can beer companies get now with some of the uh some of the beers that they can do like in peach could yeah. you make a peach sour in peach or um like you know i know i know brew dog uh have released a, a brand new beer called lockdown lager i mean yeah. everything that's gone on in the last year you could uh Oh, they did i think they did one as well what was the the that what was that castle that um that bloke went to and said that he was testing his eyesight or whatever um oh, anyway whatever um <laughs> you can have quite a you have quite a lot of fun even like uh we did with cherry ales and the quantitative ease um yeah i'm looking forward to the to the all the kinds of um mm. Boutique beers and the different names that are coming out, but I think you're right about the whole uh, theatre of, of of Trump. I mean, what is it? When's the inauguration? Is the inauguration on the twentieth of January? Is that when they usually do it? The twentieth. Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, so we've got like what? What? Jeez, I don't even know what day it is today. Uh, we've got five days. We've got five days left of this. I mean, it's kind of like there's this great Simpsons episode where um, I think it's a, a Halloween, one of their Halloween specials, the uh, House of Horrors or whatever they call their Halloween specials. And, uh, and all, the, all these like advertising boards and, and come to life. And one of the things that comes to life, like the big thing that comes to life is Lard Lad, the, uh, the giant advertising thing on the um, donut shop. And uh, the, the way Lisa finds out that the way to to beat these giant monsters that the advertising boards have all turned into uh, is like all advertising is you just ignore it and it goes away. Advertising dies when, when people ignore it. And so to defeat the giant monsters, they just ignore them. Uh, and I kind of get the feeling that Trump is the lard lad in this situation and that it's, he's just going to fade away um, if people just kind of ignore it. But the, the problem uh, with what's, been going on is that for some reason they all seem intent on turning him into a martyr instead which is only adding fuel to uh to his followers and and to to i guess this the state that america finds itself in um and so you kind of get the feeling that the more they pursue him the worse if things are going to get before they just kind of as i say settle down and he disappears um and it feels like that that Biden's kind of pursuit now is to um, is to do everything that Trump wouldn't do. And that's already resulted in, I think it's another $1.9 trillion of, um, of, of stimulus through different areas. I don't need exactly know the full breakdown, but if it's like all the other stimulus packages before, you'll probably find some of it going to the most obscene areas that have nothing to do with uh, any sort of pandemic or any sort of, um, you know, getting an economy back to, to full swing. So, I mean, another 1.9 trillion flowing in uh, it's, it's the same, it's the same old, right. And it's just going to continue to, to pump the market. I mean, I, I can't see how, you know, everything's going to turn on a dime anytime soon. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is. It's all, it's all, um, like you say, theatre, um, the best thing to do would be to kind of ignore it, but they're not doing that. And then at the same time, they're just going to keep on being loose with uh, monetary and fiscal policy. Yeah. 
I think there's probably, yeah, there's a lot we could talk about with that. I think, you know, I thought Trump would manage to find a way of uh, messing around with the election results post-election. I thought he'd be able to find a way of um, you know, pulling something out of the bag and being able to either, you know, prevent Biden from getting the, uh, the, the right number, I think 270 electoral votes, yeah. and then managing uh, to, you know, swing some, you know, some of these sort of more esoteric, more arcane um, election methods uh, that were written up by the founding fathers uh, all those years ago, and that he would somehow manage to get away with a second term. Like, and I was, I was very much open to the idea um, and very much open to exploring it because it really did seem like everybody was massively immediately certain that, of everything when, when Biden managed to, when Biden ultimately, you know, won the election, etc. But uh, you know, here we are, and I, I was definitely wrong in that in that suspicion. Um, <laughs> but now here we are, and you do wonder what the next four years is kind of going to look like. I think for me, uh, from my perspective with Biden, um, I think it's just going to be more like the Obama era, just on steroids. Uh, yeah. You know, now with yeah. now with additional stimulus checks that are going to be routinely injected, um, and. Mm. I, that for me, that's kind of, I think that's going to be quite, uh, and similarly with Obama era on steroids, I mean, you were going to get uh, on, you know, opposite to that, where you had the buildup of uh, Trump's base during that period. Similarly, you're going to have an even more aggressive buildup of uh, a similar base during that period. I think, uh, you know, just the, the manner in which uh, the Biden administration does, uh, does foreign policy, you know, I have I have friends, very very wise uh, individuals in you know fund management industry who are who wanted Biden to win because they thought Biden was going to be you know firmer and stronger on China, and uh, you know I really hope they're right, but I really don't think they are. So <laughs> yeah. uh, you know for me that's uh, like I I really hope Biden is very firm on China. I really don't think he's going to be. Um, nah. So I, I look forward to be proven wrong on that point. Uh, it seems like you know we're just going to go back to blowing up an awful lot of the Middle East uh, under under Biden administration. So for me, that it's not looking that great. I I think I would be interested to know what your expectations are for that for the for the next four years of a Biden administration, um, and also Sam, what you make of uh, all the social all of Silicon Valley deciding all of a sudden that it's time you know everybody is jumping on the bandwagon from like snapchat to uh you know um you know myspace may as well be doing it you know may as well be doing it at this point you know banning banning trump or making a big public pronouncement of how they're going to ban trump is so what do you make of that what do you think the next four years will hold when it comes to the you know the aims and objectives of biden and what do you make of silicon valley deciding now you know of all of all the time when they could have done it over the past four years now is the time yeah. to uh, to ban trump so uh, from my point of view, I think that uh, this is going to be four years of the most woke president uh, America has ever seen. Uh, and there's good things and bad things about that, I think. I, I, tend, to, I tend to kind of agree in that you get the feeling that it would be like Obama on steroids and that they'll kind of go back to... Um, I think I think he'll be quite pro-China, to be fair. Um, 
and I don't think that he'll, he'll I think he'll be he's sort of sit in the same boat as the EU um, and really not care so much uh, about what the negative things are that China does and just sees them as really a giant a giant customer um, so I, I, I think that that's probably probably the situation with with China now the thing about going back and as, as you sort of pointed out about that blowing up stuff in the Middle East. I wonder, because I think he's going to be very much a woke president. I think he's going to very much try and turn the narrative to green energy. But at the same time, I, I also get the feeling that, um, because it didn't, well, I think, I think he came out, wasn't it, in his election campaign, was talking about destroying the fracking industries uh, in a number of countries, a uh, number of states. Um, but somehow that didn't seem to have an impact on uh, on the election. Uh, yeah, I just get the feeling that he's gonna he's gonna do all the things he can do um, to appease the woke brigade, um, and I, I don't necessarily mean that in a, a disparaging way. But um, it's 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 popularism, I think, at its finest for the next four years, um, and also it's just continuation of of loose, uh, as I say, loose, loose fiscal policy, um, which is just going to lead to uh, even more good times on the market, most likely as we, as the can continuously gets kicked down the road. Um, when it comes to big tech, I think big tech's going to, I think they're going to split up big tech in the next four years. I think that'll be one of his defining um I think it will be one of his defining things of his first term, uh, assuming he survives and lives the next four years, um, is that big tech will get broken up. And I don't think that that's going to serve the intention that they have behind breaking up big tech. Um, but I think that's going to happen. And that's probably actually going to fuel the market and that end of the market, because you might see them chopped up, but then even independently, they will still be run in a way that makes them probably even more dominant because they become more nimble. Um, so, yeah, I think <laughs> it's it's hard for me to see great negatives coming out of it, um, although there will be. When it comes to the market and when it comes to investing, I, I, I just, I'm struggling to see where the breaking point is for the market that that is is going to come at some point but i'm not sure i can see it coming with the way that things are going at the moment yeah i think for me and you know i've reiterated this slightly uh in a previous podcast but uh i do feel like that four percent inflation figure you know that's in previous bull markets this is a figure where once you get there, that's when the market really starts to worry about it. And that's when it starts to break. Um, and it was very similar in 2008, actually, you know, it's coincidental with the whole Lehman thing and the whole Bear Stearns thing, right? Uh, at the same time, which people don't sort of think of quite so much, you know, inflation wasn't near that 4% level, it was getting very, very, very close. And uh, previously, previous bull markets and bear markets, Russell Napier has pointed out the 4% is this big figure for um, you know, a booming stock market, at which point inflation ceases to be thought of as a good thing and is more a bad thing once it reaches that level. I wonder whether or not we might see that 
uh, and maybe this year, depending on how rapidly uh, the US and other countries for that matter really reopen. Uh, you know, I can't see that happening in Europe unless something extreme happens on the fiscal side. But, you know, here in the UK and here in the States, well, not here, here in the UK and, you know, over the pond in the States, I can, I can imagine that 4% level getting reached if certain conditions are met. And that, I think, I do think that then, as it's these growth stocks, which are what have led the rally, it's not, it's not anything that would do well in an inflationary environment. Um, I, that's what I think might get in the way of it, especially when you're talking about handing out stimulus, stimulus checks to people or stimmies, as I understand they are now called. Um, yeah, I think that for me, that would be what I would see as what could get in the way of it. At mm. the same time, you do wonder about tech regulation and how that could mess up uh, this grand bull market we've seen, which has been in these in these tech stocks, right? In these in these leprechauns, as we as we called them in a previous podcast. You know, if the the state gets really big on making sure Silicon Valley behaves the manner in which they want it to behave, then you know you can imagine things getting in the way of that. You know, imagine if somebody who doesn't really understand the market dynamics that are leading to these massive IPOs and these big SPAC offerings somehow manages to slip you know a bill in that you know you know it's a it's a, it's a relatively esoteric murky area of um, financial engineering you know they manage to slip a bill in that just says you know we you're not allowed to do x y and z which which is required if you want to you know if you want to issue a SPAC or something you know imagine if that if you get this sort of um, anti-tech or sort of anti-capital uh, regulation gets in, gets slipped in and just somehow the financial plumbing is altered and that suddenly messes around. I can imagine that kind of thing happening if there was a certain level of political frenzy around a certain idea, which you would get, I think, if there was, because remember, you know, it's not like the Biden administration would just all of the blue say, yo, we're breaking up Facebook and we're breaking up Amazon. You know, they would just in order to, to, spin this idea they would spend a considerable amount of time getting the pr going and getting the propaganda fat going beforehand and that would get people all you know these companies are terrible etc cetera, etc cetera, um before they would then actually you know start trying to push this this legislation forward and in doing so they can create these these feelings in people that we just you know don't just stand there do something um mm. and i think you know, the likes of junior congressmen and women, you know, maybe that, that could lead to some funny outcomes. Um, with uh, all of these tech platforms banning Donald Trump and the likes, and uh, interestingly, the whole, uh, you know, the QAnon crowd, etc., getting mm. banned from Twitter. This is, you know, this is something that they're, they're wanting to do. Uh, Parler, uh, I think, what was it? AWS said, you know, we're not hosting you on our servers anymore. You need to find your own one and effective yeah. immediately, effectively. Um, and the manner in which, or effectively, all at once, and it really was within the space of 24 hours almost, you had everybody had decided we need to reject Donald Trump and all of the people who are remotely involved with people who went, who, who went to the Capitol to protest. Now, yeah, I mean, like some people are, are pro this. Personally, I don't. I, I think this is a bad. I think it's a bad idea. 
to ban them from a commercial perspective for the businesses. And I think it's bad for, uh, from a political perspective as well, because all that you have done in doing this is one made them more ardent in their beliefs. I mean, they think that you only go after people like that, or, you know, you, it's easy to say, look what they've done to try and stop me. It's because they know I'm right kind of thing. It's very easy. To, but more importantly, there are perfectly feasible channels that these people can turn to in order to, ca to carry on uh, being communi in communication with each other. So Telegram, Signal, and Gab, are there, they, that is just what, um, you know, all of the, all these guys that you've booted out of these major tech platforms, they've just gone on there. I mean, Telegram is incredibly easy to use. Gab is very easy to use. Okay, you may have managed to get Parler, um, but you know, it's very, the, all you've done in, uh, removing this conversation from such a public domain as Twitter is just made it harder to see. It's less visible now. I mean, if there yeah. was any, if you really wanted to say that this was the, the you know, these ideas being promulgated were bad, well, you should you should discuss it in the public forum. It should be in the and it should be in an open domain. You you know, you shed light on it rather than trying to stamp it out because all you're doing is just putting a rug over the problem and then pretending it's not there. I think the you know, I think it's bad from a business perspective because it shows that these companies are deciding what people are, are allowed and not allowed to say, which is bad for advertising. It's bad for what people want to do on them. Um, and then, but from a political perspective as well, in terms of politicians throwing their support behind this, or like to Merkel saying, oh, well, the, the private companies shouldn't get a decision, but the government should. You know, all you're doing is just making what was visible and observable less visible and observable because you're not going to prosecute people for their beliefs i bloody hope not anyway <laughs> yeah. um, and all you're doing is making them uh the chat in a in a manner that is less easy to see i mean you can go on telegram yourself and find some of these uh, wild chats that the people are having you know just sort of group discussions um but you know anyone can join them it's very very easy to do and it's uh, you know good luck cracking down on that and what we're going to be removing telegram from the app store now i mean is that is that the next the next step it just seems like a strategy that is so short termist um and is only going to very deeply ag aggregate aggravate sorry a uh, you know quite a large section of uh, of the population who you've decided are your pull you don't want to face in a public discussion you don't you're like you don't want you're like no 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 i'm not having a fight with these guys just just shoot them when i'm not looking right it's like uh mm. yeah it just doesn't seem like a very a very clever idea and i think it's brewing there's so much more chaos that doing that is going to brew uh but it's yep. going to be so much harder to predict because we can't see it anymore so you know the capital protests you know those those were planned for a very long time beforehand and they were being planned in a public domain uh so okay, they were there. There was a there was a very curious and very interesting lack of um, capital police there to protest. You know, we could have an entire conversation. About, well, you know, why would that have happened? Who who might have wanted to get in the way of that? Uh, but you know, yeah, this was completely predictable ahead of time. That people were going to be protesting there. You've decided right. Obviously, you know, the defense measure, measures were not sufficient. Okay, and what? So we're going to deal with this by preventing these people from communicating on Twitter uh, and Facebook and Parler. Like, what, what? how does this solve a problem? It seems very, you know, I, I don't think that's going to, I don't think it's going to fix it. And uh, it just seems like um, a formula for a lot more chaos in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. What, but 
you, you mentioned there, what are they going to do? Take Telegram off of the Google Play Store. That's that's exactly what they'll do. That's what they did to Parler. Um, and that's what they'll do to anything that they don't like. And it's and so the other interesting thing is that all of them coming out and banning Trump from their platforms is it's kind of just because it's the flavor of the day. It's it's now to be seen under the new administration as doing the right thing. Uh, again, it comes back to this idea of just appeasing the the populace because you know the greater majority of you know the system put Biden into power. So now these tech companies that have had uh, government on their back for some time now, uh, uh, I think it's I think it's kind of just tickling the ball sack of the new administration. To be fair with you, and I, I don't see. I think people will see through that. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's going to stop. And so you, you know, when it comes to to tech, what they're doing is they're just they're sh- showing their true colors, that they will do what is ever required to remain functional uh, and in a dominant position, and that's the control of of data and information. And so by banning these people or banning Trump, like you say, from public forum. Uh, all it does is just suppresses it to to more underground uh, ways of communication, of which in today's world, there's plenty of ways to, yeah, to get around. Easy. So yeah, it's it's super easy. And you know, I, I I've I've said a few times before now, maybe 2021 is the year that the deep web kind of goes mainstream. In that sense, is that we find that perhaps more and more of our time will be spent on the deep web. Uh, uh, you know, operating through browsers like a Tor browser, uh, you know, an onion router network uh, on, on something like a deep web or using, you know, privacy and obfuscation uh, technology to, to protect our, our data and information. I, I think that one of the biggest uh, social issues that we now face is, I mean, I, I've, been, I've been saying this for a while uh, and I'm, I'm sure you, uh, you know, you're all over it as well is, protection and and privacy of our own personal data and information which has just been abused for so long uh but what's happening now i think is a very much more public demonstration of just the kind of control uh that the government and technology companies have over personal data and information and so i think it's going to be solutions to those problems uh is going to be a serious uh, you know, it's going to be a, a serious kind of opportunity, I think, for for those that that have or are smart enough to come up with that or, or deliver that kind of application or technology to people. Uh, and and we've seen it already with Signal and Telegram. Um, uh, you know, the, the, so just sort of uh, along with with all of the, the banning of, of of accounts and things like that, there has also been a big pushback against WhatsApp. Uh, particularly in the US because of the revelation, which shouldn't really be much of a revelation because fa- WhatsApp's owned by Facebook, but WhatsApp's going to be sharing a whole heap of personal data with uh, with Facebook. And so that saw a surge of people leave WhatsApp as a platform and migrate over to Signal, uh, which that alone saw, uh, which is another weird, again, sort of comes back, coming back to the market a bit here with that, is that when Signal all of a sudden just, it got, I think it got mentioned by Elon Musk and, you know, it was in the mainstream papers, you know, people leaving WhatsApp and flooding to Signal. Even Signal had seen, you know, 
literally tens of millions of people flooding over to their platform uh, in the last couple of weeks now or last week in a bit. Um, there was a tiny little penny stock called Signal something or other, nothing to do with the actual Signal uh, messaging company because Signal messaging is, is a private company. Um, but all these people started investing in Signal, this stock. <laughs> and it like, I think it was like up 100x um, in the space of a day at one point. Um, and so it's, it's this weird kind of situation where you get these crazy social uh, situations which then somehow reverberate back in through the markets, making absolutely no sense uh, at all. Uh, and, and then it, 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 all of a sudden we just sort of rinse repeat of everything that happened last year. Um, and, and, and it just doesn't seem to, 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 to be an end in sight for it, that we'll see more social unrest. We'll see, um, you know, more protests. We'll see whether it be against, uh, government or whether it be against well mainly against government and, and their decisions and whether it's around the economy or whether it's around the pandemic i think that it and that that's going to flow into the market <laughs> that's going to flow into the market in weird and wonderful ways uh, and they're trying to navigate the good stuff as opposed from the uh the, the utter rubbish and garbage is uh is going to be one of the more exciting things for 2021 considering how much of a crappy start it's got off to yeah so like gold panning is going to be uh it's going to, it's going yeah. to be even more grit and mud and mud out there yeah i mean that thing with signal i mean it's just like what happened with zoom right earlier exactly earlier, well, the same year, right? yeah. that where people thought zoom technologies rather than zoom mobile you know communications mixed up the stocks oh zoom's in the name i'm buying it and uh and it and it mooned very fast yeah, about though at the same time, Sam. So you know, when you talk about people going for more more privacy oriented apps and privacy oriented um, tech, you know, it's very very prescient at the moment uh, because just I think it was just this I think it was just this damn morning I uh, I received an email from Bitrex, the crypto exchange, telling uh -huh. me that they are delisting Monero, uh, Zcash or Zcash, and I think there was one other of the privacy coins uh, that. You know, you can't trade this the, this uh, this asset anymore, which yeah. has been deliberately geared to prevent other people from spying on your transactions. And all of, you mm. know, they're all getting delisted. So you can still withdraw them, uh, but you can't trade them. Uh, and I find that quite interesting because this is, you know, just as you say, you know, the tech companies banning Trump were just trying to appease the the new administration they're like okay don't antitrust destroy us please yeah. <laughs> just uh look we we banned the the big orange man please yeah look we go. did good we did good yeah, yeah. right you know when he's got a few days left in his administration uh we 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 did what you wanted to do right please leave us alone similarly i think we're seeing that i guess that's what was going on with the crypto exchanges but it's like you know oh man the after us for these coins, which are very much de rigueur with money launderers yep. um, and anybody interested in privacy whatsoever. So we're going to, we're just going to take the initiative and delist them. Um, and, you know, that when, the, you know, is that, that manner in which they change behavior, you know, the, the behavior of individuals has changed based on the fear of a reaction without needing a reaction. 
So there's this um, sort of strategy that the CCP took with Hollywood, where if they were just vague enough and they were just severe enough with movie producers that wanted to film in China or wanted to get Chinese investment money, um, whenever they did something that could be considered offensive, you know, if the CCP just reacted once, that was really, oh, like, you know, we were, uh, you know, we're, we're going to cut funding or we're not going to allow you to do X, Y, and Z. If they were just vague enough with their actions. This creates a culture of behavior in Hollywood that we, nobody does anything that could possibly be considered to be offensive to the Chinese Communist Party. And I wonder if that's the kind of culture we're going to find now where all these tech companies don't want to do anything even remotely subversive or remotely yep. um, offensive to statists, right? Um, and that, I mean, that's a bit of a shame, isn't it, right? <laughs> well, it is It is, and it isn't because that what that does, so the exchange like, um, was it Bittrex or any of those centralized exchanges, they're no different to the to big tech companies. And so I think what we're going to yeah. see this year, particularly in the crypto space, is we're really going to see a massive shift away from those exchanges to decentralized exchanges. Like some, I saw somebody comment the other day, one of the most powerful uh, institutions in the world is now something that was created by an anonymous founder uh, with which no one controls and everybody has uh, the potential to be a part of, which is Bitcoin. And I mean, it's true. It's, you know, the idea that you can create something anonymously and have many parties um, as, as, as I said, I guess, uh, uh, part of that network and part of how it, it grows or continues is incredible. And we're seeing that a lot in crypto at the moment with uh, the, the, the idea of the decentralized um, autonomous organization, the DAO. Um, this was something that Ethereum kind of really pioneered, didn't get right. But in the years since, we've really started to see a lot more in the, term, in, in the way of um, I guess I said, decentralized autonomous organizations where no one, no one controls it, but everyone controls it. Uh, and, and, and the idea of things like governance tokens, tokens where people have, uh, you know, ownership of, of, you know, the network and have a right to, to vote or make a decision on how things progress. I think that that's going to be um, a, a pretty powerful thing uh, that is still, I mean, it's still just trying to figure out how it's going to work and how it's going to be built out and constructed. So we're talking, you know, super early days, but the idea that an organization that can, you know, generate revenues uh, and, and, and income, uh, but can also provide a service or a platform for, for different use cases uh, and, and have that owned by the network itself and the people that are part of that network. I think that's a really powerful idea um, and something that we're going to see a lot more of. So whether it be like, we, we see it initially with decentralized exchanges like Uniswap or Matcha or, um, you know, all these kinds of exchanges where you don't, you know, you, you can you can trade on anything. If there's, a, if there's a, a piece of code or smart contract that enables the token to exist, you can interact with that without having to worry about someone like Bittrex deciding that they're not going to list a privacy coin. You can, you know, you can still trade on that privacy coin through these decentralized exchanges. So long as there's, you know, 
other people in the network to create that network, then there's always going to be effectively markets for it. So that idea of decentralizing a lot of that power away, I think is going to be a really powerful and very strong message in 2021. And, and quite frankly, for quite a long time, I think. Yeah, I really, uh, I really do hope the decentralization initiative succeeds in its original aims and doesn't get subverted or, um, you know, altered by the sort of centralized actors, as there is really a lot of pressure now to, you know, bend over to the state uh, and to, and, you know, but also just from, you know, large tech firms, which just want to make lots of money. And, uh, you know, individual actors who've made a lot of money, uh, you know, pioneers in the space who are like, no, 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 we need to go legit now, right? We need to, we need to sell out and uh, plug ourselves into these legacy networks and institutions. Um, and, you know, there, are, there, there is definitely a space for these bridges between what was once a wild frontier and what is now the traditional space. Uh, you see that with the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust of all, of yep. all you know, investment vehicles. You know, this, this trust, which has relentlessly traded at an insane valuation above, an insane premium above what it actually owns. You know, it, you know, everybody sort of thought this was kind of a joke, what somebody had, well, this, this trust, and that we were going to get a proper Bitcoin ETF. You know, there was going to be a legit Bitcoin ETF that people were going to invest in. People were talking about that. You know, this is early 2017 or, or even earlier, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and yet, GBTC... The original grayscale is just absolutely coining it. I mean, it was, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible to see how that has, uh, how, you know, three years on, four years on, uh, you know, grayscale has turned out to still be the only game in town when it comes to, you know, something close to a Bitcoin ETF without including MicroStrategy, right? But yeah, going back to my sort of my, my earlier, my earlier point, I think there's definitely places, there's definitely room for, institutional legacy financial money entering the space. Of course there is. And it's perfectly fine for there to be bridges between this new digital world and the old financial world. But it's what you're afraid of, right? It's sort of the the gentrification of this frontier, right? You're afraid of the state just coming in and making all of this new technology, uh, you know, making it all illegal effectively, you know, smart Mm. contracts, well, actually, we're just going to make them normal legal contracts, right? They they actually need to be upheld in the court of law for them to be considered legal, etc. You know, they need to be enforced by the state. We're making all of this great innovation much less useful, ultimately, uh, and thus making sort of the golden era that these things could create, um, you know, just a just a distant glimmer on the horizon rather than something that could be seized sooner. Um, but Sam, uh, we have gotten slightly away with ourselves. What was your rating for your first beer? Because I'm already into my second one now. Uh, yeah, as am I. Uh, I, I, uh, I really enjoyed that from the O oh Brother Brewing Co., the Love Hurts Oat Cream IPA. So um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's the first one I've had from O oh Brother, and uh, they've they've set quite a quite a high bar already for themselves. Um, yeah, I, I I actually enjoyed that significantly. I, I'm actually going to give that a double B minus. Which is a phenomenally good rating. Oh, damn, Sam. Yeah, that's uh, that's really good. I, I I enjoyed that a lot. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, man, I'm jealous of you. You're always the one giving them these double Bs. Like you must always just be going for the superior beers here. <laughs> really good, really good. All right, so um, Grandma's Apple Pie Sour, okay, by Baskland or Baskland. Basque. Um, fruited Sour Ale, 5.8%. Hmm. Yeah, ask for Basque or ask, or ask for Basque. I would give this, I would give this an A minus. I'll give this an A minus. And I think I'm being generous with that. Um, it tasted quite nice, something, but something with the smell. Uh, it's probably the lactose <laughs> thing. It did, yeah, it, it, but it went down okay, it went down okay. Um, Sam, what's the, what second beer are you on there? Right, so my second one is from Lost and Grounded, um, which we've had some from before. They're located down in Bristol, uh, and it's the Saison de Avon, the which is a Belgian style ale, uh, and it is a six point five percent, and off to a pretty good start so far. Uh, it very it, like I, you, you really can tell the the Belgian style. It's hard for me. I can't. I can never quite put my finger on exactly what the Belgian style uh, tastes yeah, like. What it is. You know it. You know it when you have it, <laughs> and uh, and it's yeah. certainly right up there. So yeah, the uh, but we, but I actually quite like the Belgian now. You know, having been to to parts of Belgium, um, as I'm sure many many people have, uh, you you know when you you sat in a Belgian bar and you're drinking a Belgian Belgian beer, you just feel like you're drinking. Belgian beer in Belgium it's like it's a really nice thing to do um and uh and and it it takes me there which is a good start when I I like the idea that you can drink a beer and it takes you to a place you've been before and kind of gives you that uh that reaction I think that's that's usually a a pretty good sign so we're, we're off to a good start so far with this one oh good the uh, the second one that I am currently consuming is Marsh- Marshmallow Sprinkles, and it is a pastry IPA. So once again, Oof. this is Baskland uh, going out there with baking-themed beer. <laughs> so this pastry IPA, we're looking at another 5.8 percenter. The, uh, the label is very florid once again. Uh, it looks almost so, sort of, it lo- it's a nice cream cone that's like up, upside down, which makes it look like a sort of a UFO uh, beaming down on the earth with strawberries coming out of it. And there's like a meteor shower in the background. Um, and this time we've got, interestingly, uh, I'm not sure where this is actually from, but uh, they have some interesting health warnings uh, we've got on the side here. So we've got uh, 18 plus is actually on the side. It's like uh, it's like we're playing a video game or something. Um, <laughs> I feel I feel naughty just for drinking this thing. And it's got uh, one of those. Um, it's got one of those explicit lyric warnings on it as well. <laughs> yeah, parental advisory. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> explicit content. Uh, yeah, sadly, sadly not. That would be very cool though. Um, oh, this is unpasteurized. I didn't know that. That's. Uh, you need, you need that. Uh, but it's also BPA-free. What, do you know what BPA-free is? What's BPA? Um, isn't that something to it do is. with the manufacturing of the actual can or, or, or bottle or plastic or whatever? Ah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, this one, 
is I know I'm halfway through. I already know it's it's not gonna get it. It's not gonna make it a minus. Um, yeah, uh, ask for Basque. I'm beginning to regret that I did, but. You know, I saw these when I, I, you know, when I picked up a few beers, I saw these, hadn't had anything from this brewery before. I was like, you know what? These are damn expensive. It's £5.30 a can. But, you know, I'll give them a go. It's always good to have on the old Triple B. But, yeah, you know, you do win some and you do yeah. definitely lose some. So I mean, it's, it's, it's like a, be- it's a beautiful part of the world. It really is. Uh, I, I just don't get, I never got the feeling that the domestic beer scene was was rocking <laughs> so you've probably you've probably really shut yourself in the foot from the outset with that one <laughs> you mean in scotland mate <laughs> this is definitely not made in scotland so uh i in my defense i think uh this is definitely not scotland's fault um, no, 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 no. I mean, I meant the the Basque region. Uh, the right, Basque right, region right, is, yeah, is yeah. a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, I've never yeah, been like, Basque. Oh, really? Ah, oh, well, there no, you go. Never. It's uh, it is. It's lovely, wonderful, beautiful part of uh, well, I, I I dare not say Spain. Uh, the Basque. It's a beautiful part of the world, uh, where it is located, um, n- sort of in between Spain and France, <laughs> and. Uh, Oh, it, you know, it, it is. It's tremendous. If yeah, everybody should get there uh, for a holiday at some point, but yeah, look, it's not. I yeah, it's never going to be a great brewing uh, part of the world. But you know, you've got to try these things. If you don't step outside your comfort zone, how will you know to never go back to drinking them again? Um, so it's, un- it's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, your winter. I'm. You know, it's what's the, what's it you. Uh... You miss every shot you don't take. Some hockey players. Yeah, it was, a, it was a Gretzky. That was a great Gretzky quote. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. Or it was yeah, something yeah. along the lines of that. Somebody Sometimes it's accredited to uh, Larry Bird as well. But I mean, you know, the kind of same principle, right? And to be fair, when I was a little bit younger in my in my heyday, um, you know, if you're, if you're out and you're, you know, you're kind of, you know, wanting to chat to a, you know, fine member of the opposite sex or same sex or whatever your uh whatever your preference is and uh you know you maybe you get a little shy a little nervous you know a little self-conscious and then gretzky comes back into your head and you realize that you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take and so you know you go up and you you know you ask the girl at the bar if she wants to have a drink or a chat or whatever you know and she says no and you know, <laughs> well at least i had the shot i took the shot and i missed but at least i took the shot so um you know that, yeah, that that's I'm, certainly I'm- that's the same. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna bring that with my with this beer experience, definitely. <laughs> uh, at least I know, at least I didn't yeah. miss out yeah. on an incredible yeah. beer, or exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine, to... imagine if you'd have if you'd have looked at it and gone, huh, Basque region, nah, they're gonna do shit beers, and then you'd never took it, and it was actually the best beer in the world. Our only, tri- it was the only triple B beer that was ever been in existence. You're just like, nah. I'm not even going to try it. <laughs> Though, ironically, I probably would have been better off if I had just said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? Isn't it? But, you know, you're right. You miss it. it. Is, but it you know is. what? There's, there's an investing story somewhere in there as well, I think. Because, you know, what? I think I think that a lot of people do. I think when people come to invest in the markets and they say, like, what's happening now and, you know, there's crazy shit going on. Like, Carol Baskin from Tiger King fame, you know, shilling some stupid 
stock and TikTok investors is actually a thing and the Robin Hood phenom and, and people investing in stocks like Signal that have nothing to do with what they think it's supposed to be or Zoom when it's not Zoom. You know, this crazy shit that we've seen over the last, you know, 18 months or whatever or year or just in general in the markets can turn a lot of people away from investing. And they're just like, no, it's too stupid. It's too crazy. It's all just a big bubble. But, you know, you've got to, I think you've got to participate you know, and everyone has their level at which they get in and, and get investing. And, you know, what's what's 50 quid, or well, you can't really invest in anything in the traditional markets for 50 quid, but let's say what's 500 quid to somebody investing in the market, you know, might be 50,000 to somebody else. Everyone has their own level. But I think at the end of the day, everyone should at least be factoring it in. If you've got a bit of a long-term time frame, you want to have a bit of excitement and try and build your wealth and you, you really need to be looking at the markets and and if you don't if you just sat there watching it all unfurl and not having any shots at all uh then you're gonna miss you're gonna miss 100 of the time by just just doing nothing um so there there is a bit of a, i think a, a message in there for the investor as well is that you've kind of still got to participate to even open yourself up to some opportunity you know considering all you know risks and all those sorts of things that you, that you need to consider but yeah, I think the worst thing that people can do uh, is to do nothing at all. Mm, yeah, well, so I guess uh, we're, you'd end up with something like you make a 100% loss on every financial asset that you don't buy. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think you miss a hundred, you make 100% loss on, on the financial asset you never buy. I think it's, you make zero <laughs> on everything that you don't buy. <laughs> So you don't, yeah, you don't you gain anything. The inflation rate. Yeah. 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 You, you just yeah. lose inflation, um, which is, which is we, if it's 4%, like you say, if we end up going towards that magical number, um, imagine that, imagine, imagine, imagine being sat on the sidelines in, in cash thinking that the market's going to tank. And then for the next five years, it does nothing. And then you lose 4% of the value of that money. Plus, plus, obviously, what you know, potential asset prices inflate to on top of that. So you might lose it in inflation in cash, but then also lose it even more in asset price inflation as well. I mean, it's like a double whammy, and that I think that's that's one of the worst things that's that, that is going to happen right now because this really this hits savers, this hits retirees, and this hits savers that are at that phase of their life where um, you know. You, just, you you want to be dialing down on your risk. You don't you don't want to have you know great exposure to crazy volatile assets necessarily. You want to be able to have some sort of stability. But where the fuck do you find stability in any of these markets? I, I really I mean we 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 are at a position where we've still got you know a, a fair bit of time up our sleeves. But I genuinely feel for people that are at retirement age or coming to retirement age. Uh, look, trying to figure out what to do with you with your investments and assets. Where do you put them to try and find some sense of security or stability without endangering it to to in potential inflation? Um, or do you go to the market where there's insane volatility happening? It's such a difficult um, thing to to do for 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 pensioners and and, and retirees and and savers. Really, they get they get shafted pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, I do think that there are. You know, when you look at things like the value investor proposition, you'll find that the volatility in these assets is not so extreme, or it hasn't been when I've, uh, from what I've looked at, you know, it depends on where you go in the world, etc. 
uh, developed market, emerging market, etc. I do think that there are there are these there are sort of relative pools of tranquility in these assets where there simply isn't interest anymore. You know, there's not, it's not considered sexy anymore. Like value investing has not been considered sexy for an incredibly long time now. Yeah. Uh, and as a result, you know, the capital just doesn't flow there anymore. So it's in those places where things don't trade so aggressively. I think you still can find that. There's still sort of room for um, the safety buffer there because if you're already buying it above uh, at less than what it's worth, then, uh, you know, if it gets another hit, you know, it's only going to be cheaper for you to buy more. And you know that you're not, uh, you're not, you're not buying any, you know, you're, you're buying only at a discount, not at a premium. And I think that's, um, you know, that's one, that's one way in which people can try and sort of protect themselves in it. But, uh, but, you know, as you say, I mean, the volatility we're seeing certainly in, you know, the likes of, you know, America is what everyone looks to, but, even if you go to, uh, you know, well, if you go to the AIM stocks easily, FTSE is not that volatile. Ultimately, I guess most of it's just currency. <laughs> most of, so much of it is just currency <laughs> these days. Um, and it's interesting how commodities are picking up. So FTSE has been pretty pretty good this year from from what little we have seen of this year. It's just uh, been I'm, one of the best I'm performing markets in the move. world, hasn't it? Yeah, over the past fifteen days, you know, we'll uh, I'll take I'll take those we'll victories take <laughs> when, uh, yeah, we'll take it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like when you're looking at volatility and things that aren't volatile, I mean, ultimately this is what this is what central banks want you to do. I mean, they they want to force you into investing in economic, um, in putting your capital into activity rather than not putting it anywhere. So I mean, they want you to feel bad for just having cash. Uh, now, whether or not you, it's a good thing then to obey what they want is, you know, sort of another discussion. But you know, there's, uh, and you know, if they if they screw it up, and there's a massive deflation, well, hey, there'll be the people who who are deciding to own cash rather than invest in anything. Those are the guys who'll triumph because they can come in and buy everything when it's cheap, I guess. And a lot, and, you know, some some investors are positioned that way. I mean, they got like massive cash holding, just waiting for a big deflationary crisis. When they can then just come in and buy buy all these other things that we've been buy, bidding up to crazy levels, they they can ride in and uh, and pick them up for for dimes on on the dollar or pennies on the pound. But yeah, it's uh, well, I mean the uh, the proof's in the pudding. We'll uh, we'll see how it goes, yeah. um, and it will be very interesting to see how it turns out. It, the whole inflation deflation thing, you know, the, it's so you know it's such a it's such a strange sort of problem to ponder because you find all of the people who are on the deflation side, they're actually making the same argument as the inflation side. So the inflation <laughs> side is saying, look at all the central bank money printing. And then the deflation side will say, well, whenever they do print money, all they're doing is creating more debt because all money is debt and debt leads to deflation. So therefore, that all of this that you're pointing to as as the cause of inflation is actually the cause of deflation. So actually, I'm right, and yeah, it it's quite a yeah, it's quite it's quite a quite a struggle uh, between these these two forces. And I've yet to be mm. I've yet to be totally convinced one way or the other. There is still you know I'm not, I'm not 100 in one camp or the other. Um, I, I tend to think that deflationary pressures come from uh, innovation and development. So, like, I was yeah. watching I was watching Tractor Ted uh, the other day because my son, who is almost two, 
quite likes Tractor Ted on Amazon Prime as literally a show about uh, a farm and like how they like cut grass to turn it into feed for animals or like how they, you know, milk sheep and things like that. And there's the interesting thing is, is I'm watching this with him because he loves it and it sort of keeps him quiet at the end of the day and winds him down for bed. But, you know, I'm looking at these tractors that these farmers are using and they're these just incredible pieces of engineering marvels that are, you know, going through these fields and um, like one of the episodes is all about carrots and, at, at the, you know, they're these tractors and, and machinery that are effectively picking up the carrots and separating them out and putting them into another tractor and machine that takes them to another machine that washes them and sorts them and packages and boxes and bags them and things like that. You know, the, the reason that carrots cost less than a pea for, at the shop, uh, a lot of that is down to the efficiencies that come with things like great engineering and, and, and uh, technology and, and, and development innovations in agriculture. And I think that that's been a major deflation. I think that continues to be a deflationary pressure on prices, uh, you know, even things like energy, you know, the dropping cost of solar and all those sorts of, sorts of things continues to be a deflationary pressure on prices in, in all aspects of the economy. Um, but I think we're going to get to a point where there's almost a diminishing return on that until we find the next great level up and that maybe is fully autonomous systems uh, is going to you know continue to maybe push that trend down. So I think there's there's other aspects outside of um, central banks or government policy, and that come from the private sector that also probably help balance that equation a little bit as well. Yeah, big time. And the uh, you know the the forces of demographics, of course, as well. Uh, yeah, when absolutely. you know people get older, they're not consuming as much, or they're not consuming in the same way that they were when they were younger. You know, they've got more of a sort of saving instincts. They're trying to protect capital rather than to to grow it. You know, this all this all plays into it. Interestingly, Sam, it's a, it's a good point with the uh, where you've got tech and agriculture and the manner in which you know it it makes you know the, these efficiencies of scale that can be leveraged. Because um, when you look, it does look like agricultural commodities have now massively bottomed. You know, after declining for eight years, or you know, you can yeah. even really blow it out to 12 years ultimately when you look at the last peak um on the bloomberg agricultural commodity index i mean there's very you you just see this this price endlessly decline you know just endless series of lower reaction highs ultimately you know just lower and lower and lower whenever it manages to jump up again it, it collapses and yeah. you know over the last eight years it certainly has but you know the last peak was 12 years ago and now you know, now it looks like we finally hit the bottom of this thing and it's starting to blow up again. Uh, the price of corn in particular is something that has gone up really very aggressively over the last year. And um, I think, you know, oil's looking pretty hot these yeah, days, despite absolutely. the fact that nobody's flying anywhere. <laughs> so it does feel like this is going to, this is really going to, um, this is going to be a, you know, a strong theme, maybe, maybe a strong theme for the rest of the decade. Who, who knows? I think so. Uh, hmm. But that w- I, I very much believe that will lead to higher prices that we will be able to appreciate in our everyday lives um, relatively soon. And I think that'll be, mm. I think that'll be positive for that inflation figure, which of course we were then talking about earlier as being, as being a big, big deal for the stock market. But Sam, we have been, uh, we have been 
rabbiting on for a, a wee while. Uh, Indeed. What would you rate your second beer? Uh Look, it was off to a good start. Uh, look, it's a, it's a good beer. It's a pretty, it's, it does what it says on the tin. It's definitely a Belgian style ale. It's a little probably heavy for me. Um, not necessarily in the alcohol sense, just quite heavy after drinking a fair bit of it. Um, but I liked it. It's, as I said, it sort of took me, took me somewhere <laughs> to Belgium, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, but I'm just going to give this one, I think I'll give this one just a flat b for my for my liking i'd drink it again um and not have too much trouble but i don't think i'd drink more than maybe one or two to be fair yeah um this is going to be a double a this is a double a <laughs> i think i'm being generous i could give it a double a minus but i'm going to be generous and say double a one uh, when someone Ouch. tells you to ask for basque uh don't that would be uh that'd be my did you even finish moral- it Oh no! I'll finish it. I, will, I always finish it. You got to see it through. You've got, You've to, got see to see it through. I don't. I don't understand people who can who can leave alcohol undrunk. Uh, but yeah, no, nah, I won't be going for this again. They, they do have great labels. That's uh, that's their redeeming factor. That's why it's not getting a minus. I'm gonna. Yeah, you know, these are not- always a positive somewhere. Yeah, but uh, hopefully next week uh, I'll be able to rustle up something something more more uh, fulfilling from the local booze store but sam do you have any closing remarks for this uh, as we are on episode 29 it's going to be a big one next week 30 30 is a big number 30th episode we might have to do something special uh mm. the closing remarks yeah so i've got two closing remarks one if you've got a kid tractor ted phenomenal uh second one uh, i watched oh. a great documentary the other day uh called you cannot kill david arquette i'm gonna leave it at that it's fantastic watch it when you get a chance <laughs> oh very good uh, i'll i'll need to get on this now you cannot kill david arquette <laughs> all right I'm, yeah i'll great. hold on to that one well there you have it folks that was episode 29 of booze booms and busts we shall be back again next week as ever uh in the meantime i hope you have been enjoying a, a beer or two of your own uh and until then uh, well we hope you're having a very good january uh, you know we won't even have finished january by the next episode but it is um you know well it's not disappointing there's plenty of action plenty to be stimulated and entertained by if that's what you're into uh but you know in the meantime uh we hope you have a good one and we'll see you next week <laughs>